Put on your shades and oil up. It's the Entertainment Beach Podcast. All right, here we go. This is the Entertainment Beach Podcast. Welcome. My name is Leo Quinones and entertainment, well, that is just what we do here. Okay, now, I want you to picture Sunset Boulevard in your mind. Now, all the cars going by, the storefronts, it is definitely a picturesque place. But what about 50 years ago? Well, there's a movie coming out, Quentin Tarantino. The writer-director has created Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And the Sunset Strip was taken back all the way to 1969, and they did it in grand style. I mean, there were these huge neon signs that were replaced, that were there 50 years ago, since then taken down. They were put back up for the movie, Uh, things like the Hollywood Palladium, on Sunset Boulevard, uh, actually Paramount Pictures, uh, all of the Paramount Pictures on the Paramount lot, you'll see all of this. I mean, so much detail is Quentin Tarantino's trademark, and the guy just goes for attention to detail, not computer effects, real, on set, you got it right in front of you. So I spoke with Quentin Tarantino, the writer-director, and I asked him, what makes you most proud about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I'm always proud of the fact that I write my scripts from scratch. And one of the things that I like the most, uh, and sitting here now, uh, going around the world, is that I know that there was a day at one time that I sat at a table in front of a blank piece of paper, and none of this existed at all. And until I started filling out that blank piece of paper, this never would have existed. So I can always go back to that day and remember where none of this existed at all until I filled it up on a piece of paper with a pen. <laughs> not can't write poetry on a computer. Yes, writing a film not using a computer. I so love his old school method. Very very cool. But What do you want audiences to take away from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? In particularly with my movies, I'm going for a whole bunch of different emotions that sometimes are kind of retuitive to each other. And part of that is I'm... Part of what I'm trying to do is I'm I'm playing the audience. I I, kind of feel my job is almost like a conductor, and the audience is my orchestra. And so I don't make movies for people that just kind of passively sit there and let the images glaze over them. I want them to respond. So I, I make them... So for the audience to actually react to, not just watch. Uh, And so I like the idea that like, uh, oh, they're laughing, they're laughing, they're laughing. Stop laughing. Stop laughing, stop laughing, laugh. You know, and and now when a director can do that to you, and I've been an audience member and directors have done that to me. To me, that is an audience having a good time at the cinema. That is why I go to the cinema. Oh, thank you, Quentin Tarantino. By the way, this movie stars Leo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, Kurt Russell, now Leo DiCaprio, Quentin Tarantino. He is a detailed-oriented director, but how exactly does he prepare you 
for filming something like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. The first thing Quentin does besides have you read the script is he gave us this immense backstory and biography of not only our individual characters, but our relationship together, our history So detailed. Together. As two sort of outsiders in the industry that are sort of making their way, you know, trying day by day to be successful. So having grown up in this town, getting all that reference and being able to work with Brad, I think the first day there was just this automatic understanding of who these types of men were and how they relied on one another implicitly to survive and navigate through this industry. So what makes Once Upon a Time in Hollywood so very unique? What's unique about this movie is it's, it's a slice of life. It's a day in the life of all of these people, the, the people that are within and without, and, and certainly the, the undercurrent of the Manson girls and how that really changed uh, America and culture forever. I mean, that 1969 was not, not just a seminal year as far as uh, changing cinematic history, but the world. I mean, so many radical movements and things were happening during that time period. All right, now Brad Pitt. Brad, now can you tell us what Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is about? It's a love letter to... The, this community that we that we love and and have hated at times and adore and L.A. which we love and and you know cinema and the people the greats cinema and television and those even those unsung you know people who came before us which is much you know is like Rick Dalton's character. There you have it. Once upon a time in Hollywood. How about once upon a time in the future? Yeah, coming up is Terminator. Dark Fate. Now the gang's all back. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Linda Hamilton, director, producer James Cameron, and along for the ride this time, Tim Miller, director of Deadpool. And I gotta say, I have mixed feelings. I'm excited about it, but I'm not excited about it. But I do want you to hear this is a little bit of Terminator Dark Fate. Terminator Dark Fate is the direct sequel to Terminator 2. We pick up the characters that we knew from Terminator 2 and we carry them forward. We get to continue the story with Jim back in the writing and the producing chair. He knows the material like nobody else. I think for fans of the franchise, the biggest thing is that Linda's returning. People love this character. People love Sarah. Being back is wonderful. Sarah's a force to be reckoned with, and I was ready to explore that. I'm delighted to work again with Linda Hamilton, to work with Cameron, Tim Miller, and with all the new cast. This new film has recaptured that tone of those first two films. It's gritty, it's fast, it's intense. And it's just a white-knuckle ride. November 1st, I will be first in line. Terminator, Dark Fate. Welcome back, Arnold. Holy mackerel, Netflix is changing the way we see movies. Now, I am halfway through binge-watching Stranger Things 3. Uh, So far, so good. No spoilers here, but... 
The numbers are amazing. Now, the first four days, 41 million people checked out at least one hour of Stranger Things. Wow. And 18 million people binge-watched the entire eight-episode run of season three. That is incredible. Uh, They are not stopping. They're just going to steamroll over anything that gets in their way. Of course, I'm talking about Netflix. All three of you are pathetic. You don't care. I care, chef. You're way behind, and you haven't got a f***ing clue. Can we work together as a team? Yes, Yes, chef. chef. I guess I froze. I mean... You froze? What else What else do you want me to say? You haven't even f***ing defrosted. Raw steak! And he goes like this, as he's performing for the Oscars. If your f***ing cooking was as good as your acting, you'd be talented, you dick. Oh, my God. That can only be one voice, uh, the extreme, Gordon Ramsay. I mean, this guy is my hero. Not only does he cook great, but he's great to watch. He has a YouTube channel with millions and millions of views. I think it's the most watched YouTube channel there is. And also, his shows, naysayers will say, he's the guy on Hell's Kitchen. He's the guy who yells, yells, yells. Yes, he is that guy. But he also is a guy who does Kitchen Nightmares or Hotel Hell or 24 Hours of Hell. Now, those shows, uh, they're great TV because they start off really bad, and then he goes and he fixes what's wrong. Now, it could be something with cooking or something with the family or something with the kids. He fixes that, and then it ends up with a happy ending, and he's really great to watch. And also, Gordon Ramsay puts himself in situations that other celebrity chefs haven't even dared try. Like he'll go king crab fishing, and he'll go down in the ocean, get some king crab, bring it up, this big, huge monster, he'll cook it right there on the beach. Or he'll go inside of a prison, and this prison is on lockdown, and he'll go in there, he'll wait an hour to get in there, get security clearance, and all of a sudden, he's surrounded by guys, and they're all criminals, murderers, thieves, and they have knives, but he's there to teach them to cook if they want to learn how to cook. So Gordon Ramsay uh, really is a multidimensional guy. Well, he has a show coming out on National Geographic, and it's called Gordon Ramsay Uncharted, and he's cooking in the most remote places. I saw one clip where he's grinding grains to make flour. I mean, really primitive. Uh, Take a listen. The things I do for food. That's good cake, lady. That was insane. This is definitely uncharted territory for me. And now it's time to cook. Stubborn mule. Hello. I'm the pink man from Great Britain. How come nobody else is out of breath? I'm back. <laughs> What's so special about the fruit here? Because of the altitude. A lot more sugary. Okay, here I come. I've never made love to a tree. Finally, where do we start? Up there. Are you trying to kill me? I've never cooked on a stove like that. It's like a crispy cockroach. <laughs> I've learned more in the last week than I have in the last 10 years. On to my next adventure. Gordon Ramsay 
I saw the guy on Pacific Coast Highway one time. He pulls up in a gun metal silver Lamborghini, the Lambo, and uh, he just waved hello. Just a cool, cool guy. All right. We will be back next week with the Entertainment Beach podcast. Like us uh, on Facebook or refer us to a friend. You guys, that is so cool. Thank you so very much. And thank you to the TCL Chinese Theater. It is the ultimate place to see a movie. And by the way, they have the MX 4D theaters. That is just the best. If you can do it, do it. All right, man. Don Juan, thank you so much. Hey, I will see you next week on the Entertainment Beach Podcast. <laughs>